Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. You got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You have keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You got fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. Got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight, camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient. It's safe. It's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Thursday edition of the Boneyard. Yeah, we're a day early today. I'm going to be traveling this evening and I won't be back until tomorrow afternoon. So I thought, you know what, let's go ahead and give the people what they want. So the show is up today. And uh, again, this is your third show of the week. So won't have one tomorrow. But uh, again, it's going to be a busy day. I'm also uh, kind of trying to finish up the book here. I've got a, a few things left to do. I have just finished up the chapter about NCAA bracket play, you know, at Omaha. So all I've got left to write for 
recapping the season is the College World Series final against Vanderbilt. Then I've, I've just interviewed John Cohen yesterday, had a long talk with Coach Cohen, talked about his time here as a player, about why he transferred to Mississippi State, how that process worked, what it was like playing for Ron Polk, how difficult the decision was to come here to be the head coach after having a really good situation there at the University of Kentucky, about the decision to take over as the athletic director, hiring Andy Canizaro, hiring Chris Lamonis. And then early next week, I'll interview Coach Ron Polk and Chris Lamonis. And then we'll be finished. So probably, I would say this time next week, the book is going to be written. Now, what's going to happen after that, of course, is uh, you know, we've got to lay it out. The editors are already working overtime right now, and they're, they're basically up to date with me. Then the chapter that I just submitted today about that first week in Omaha is very, very lengthy. It's almost like two chapters in one. A lot happened when we were out there. You know, of course, we had, you know, the game with Texas, the game with Virginia, and you come back and have two more with Texas, and there's all the COVID stuff with NC State and Vanderbilt. I want to reiterate again, too. I thought about this again last night. When I was in Omaha and all that stuff was breaking with NC State, you know, I'm on the way to the game to go watch NC State and Vanderbilt play. Because when I'm in Omaha, I go to every game. I love college baseball. I want to be able to see those teams play, not just because of the fact that we might play them, but I just love college baseball. I enjoy watching. And when you have you know two great teams playing on that stage with so much at stake, you know, the level of play is generally very good. And so I remember on the way to the stadium, I got texts from Dave Murray, you know, the icon, Dave Murray. Dave says, man, what a bombshell. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, man, the game is delayed due to some health concerns. And so I get on site there at TD Ameritrade. And then Matt Wyatt hits me up. He goes, hey, can you come on the show? I know you're on the scene there. And at this point, I'm just trying to get caught up. To and as I'm standing there outside of the, the stadium of Jumbotron is to talk that the game is delayed due to a health concern within the NC State. That words to that effect. And so we're trying to get up to speed. I'm talking to Matt Wyatt. And it's clear something is happening and it's very negative. As I'm wandering in, all these other they see me with the media credential and they're like, hey, what have you heard? Well, at this point, nothing. All I know is the game is delayed. We are told that a game is going to be played, but we don't know the details behind it. I'm sure you guys uh, back then, you know, I get into the tunnel because the media entrance allows us to go through the tunnel do that. Sometimes I like to walk up, especially when we're playing, see our from time and so I'm going through the tunnel, and they stop me, and they're pulling NC State players out of the dugout, and they all got masks on, and they're, they're spraying all this spray, and it's a wild scenario right there. It's a wild scene. And I get up to press row. I'm talking to Aaron Fitt and those guys, and say, like, yeah, this guy's out, and this guy's out. And I said, hey, Aaron, it's more than that. And he goes, oh, I talked to so-and-so. And I said, like, you know, I'm just telling you, I just saw a race shortstop from NC State from the dugout and is now confined to the cops. To it, as the story unfolds, a lot of people were kind of casting some aspersions at Vanderbilt, and they're a convenient villain. And I'm certainly not one to be an advocate or a proponent for, for Vanderbilt baseball. I think they're a lot about what's wrong in college baseball. You know, all the scholarship stuff still just kind of sticks in the crawl, but that's a story for another day. But, the, you know, rumors began kind of making the rounds that, hey, you know, Vanderbilt 
pushed all this issue. And, and so as I was writing that chapter last night, and it took basically all day. It's like I've been working on it for a while, kind of getting my notes together. And I remember that I go back and I, I, I listened to Coach uh, after they beat Vanderbilt one nothing in the winner's bracket game. And he said, you know, there's a bug going through the team, a bug, a bug, a bug. And Coach Hart's had it for five or six days. Some of the players have it. I've kind of got it a little bit. And if, and if that's what sparked more testing, it wasn't Vanderbilt. It's basically NC State, through their own admission, is like, hey, we have an issue. And then there were these you know, players. I guess it was one player initially that had tested positive. You know, Link Jarrett's kid, of course, boy, second base. Uh, Link comes and gets him, takes him back home. And then there's all these guys that were kind of roommates or sweet mates. And then there were some guys, I guess, that were in, quote, quarantine that were tested to see if they were eligible to play, which led to more positive tests. And so they ended up playing the game with 13 players. And I remember thinking then, watching the, uh, you know, Robbie Falk kind of joked about it, about the here's the scholarship you know, disadvantage in college baseball. You got Vanderbilt out there with, you know, 30-some-odd kids, and there's in-state with 13. But I remember thinking then, it's like, man, this game is going to be an absolute blowout. Vanderbilt, Kumail, going to absolutely shell these guys. Well, they didn't. NC State, Wisconsin, you know, back up reserves, battled Van Nails at three-one ball game. I was pulling for NC State, not just because of the fact they're playing Vanderbilt, not just because if NC State won, it would eliminate Vanderbilt, and also two, guarantee that uh, if Mississippi State won, that NC State or Mississippi State would win the national championship, so we'd have a new first-time champion in college baseball. And that's one of those sports where that happens a little more regularly than most. Yeah, in football, it just doesn't happen. I think the last new national championship in football, if my memory serves me correct, you know, was Florida back with Spurrier. I mean, it's it's pretty rare that you have a a brand-new champion in college football because if there is ever a situation where there is division between the haves and the have-nots, it's really in, in, in college football. You know, college basketball, you can go out there, you know, one great recruiting class can change the trajectory of your program. You know, college baseball is a little bit different, too, you know, because of the fact, you know, you know, Coastal Carolina can win the national championship. Fresno State can win the national championship. And so there's been a lot of first-time champions, and I think that's great for the game. If we want to see the game of college baseball expand, you know, you have to have some postseason victories for teams that are maybe not traditional powerhouses. It's just like when Michigan played Vanderbilt for the 2019 uh, National Championship. You know, Michigan kind of snuck in to the field, got hot late. It's good for the game of college baseball. Now, granted, there was nobody there at those games between Vanderbilt and Michigan. It was much different, you know, Mississippi State and Vanderbilt because we wanted to go to the games. But if we want college baseball to expand, you need a team like Michigan to play for it all. And I was pulling for Michigan, too. I, was, I guess I was really pulling against Vanderbilt. But the way the NC State thing kind of broke down is just heartbreaking. And I don't, I don't want to just kind of, you know, pick at an old scab here. And I'm not going to sit here and, uh, you know, hand out indictments on how things were handled. But it was a very unfortunate situation. And some of the commentary back then, you know, really kind of, you know, struck me. 
you know, it's like, you know, Avent says, you know, I, I didn't know what's going on. You know, I, I just didn't understand. Nobody could, could tell us. And so they finally get the whole thing settled. And, you know, that, that's the thing I go back to is like if they knew on Tuesday, why did we have to wait till Friday to get the matter resolved? And again, I don't know all the details, but it seems like that could have been handled more expediently. There were 13 players that played in that ball game against Vanderbilt that the Commodores won 3-1. The endearing image to me, or I guess endearing image is the wrong phrasing. The lasting image to me is Kumar Rocker flexing on the mound after striking out a walk-on, making his first or second college at bat. And that's the thing I think about. You know, there's so many things about Vanderbilt that irritates me. That's one of them. It's that sort of stuff. And then it's Tim Corbin making a comment in postgame, you know, we don't care how it looks. All I know is that we get a positive result, we're moving on. It's very insensitive. And, again, there are a lot of things about Vanderbilt, and I, and I know that it hurts, uh, you know, gets Vanderbilt Twitter all riled up when you point out the fact that they're essentially a fraud in many respects. But that's the reality of it. And then to act so smug in a situation that was so crazy just doesn't endear many people to your cause. It's hard to pull for Vanderbilt. I mean, it really is. Like, when I went up there for, to Nashville to cover – Robbie Falk and I both went up there to cover the, uh, the series. And there's a lady out there in the stands with a sign that says 11.7 strong, and I think either she's tone deaf or she's trolling us. And we still should have won the series. We, we, we blew it. We did. And I think that motivated us to come back and win the whole thing later. But we have experienced something very, very unique this year. Not just the fact that we won, but because the College World Series was played under unprecedented circumstances. And we were still able to crown a champion. And you and I both know that everybody in all of college baseball, with the exception of Vanderbilt and Ole Miss fans, were pulling from Mississippi State and really more against Vanderbilt. I remember the day of game one, and we go through the uh, – we go through all of it, and all of a sudden there is a uh, there's a plane that flies through that says "Beat Vandy, the Pack." I get chills even now saying that because like everybody wanted us to go in, and you know those NC State people because of how smug Vanderbilt was after all that, they're pulling for us. And in many ways, NC State is like us. I mean, we're sister schools, you know, land grant institutions. And so I think there was some commonality that was easy to identify between us and NC State. And I also go back to the point, too, of course, the enemies of Mississippi State. Oh, it should have an asterisk. Are you kidding me? You, know, you, hear, you hear that from Ole Miss people, and I'm like, you know, at no point have you ever been ranked number one in anything at the end of the year in a major sport, and you want to claim a Football Writers Association National Championship. You, you, you want to claim – you know, the Donkel Index is your national championship. Well, let me just whip up some computer rankings here, too, and I'll just give Mississippi State that 1941 national championship. And, uh, you know, while we're at it, too, I mean, even though we lost on the field, you know, in 1989, maybe I'll just give us a national championship in baseball for that, too, you know. I mean, it's like if you don't win it on the field, did you ever really win it? And the answer to the question is no. That's the thing about sports. It's not a matter of opinion. And if you want a matter of opinion, then go compete in gymnastics. Go, go get an ice skating because there are judges that score you based on your proficiency on certain skills, but also, too, I hope that I've got – a little technical issue there. I hope I've got that fixed, so I apologize for that. But um, 
anyway, it's it's new software for me. But nevertheless, it's so incredible to think about how this all kind of came to be. And it's been so much fun to kind of relive this. I'm eager to sit in and talk with Crystal Malness and you know, kind of get his thoughts on kind of what's transpired. I mean, obviously, it's been a little while since we've, we've won it. It feels like it was just yesterday. And, and uh, John Cohen made an interesting comment when we spoke yesterday. He's like, you know, people walk up and say, hey, man, congratulations. And you, you kind of think to yourself, oh, for what? Oh, yeah, the NAFL championship. It still kind of seems a little bit surreal. Like, can they still take this away from us? And they can't. It's ours forever. And that's Rafael Palmero said that. It was so great, too, when uh, Rafi's there in Team Hotel and they give him the trophy and he has a chance to hoist it up. A guy that's been waiting 26 years to do that. And um, I guess 36 years now. My goodness gracious, time gets away from us. But he hoists that trophy skyward. He goes, I've been waiting, waiting since 85 to hold that trophy in my hands. And so it is definitely a shared accomplishment. It's not just about players or coaches or fans or staffers or people that work the gates, that sort of stuff. Everybody is part of this. And um, I, I bring that up because I, I get really, really irritated, you know, when those people that say, you know, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's them. They did it. Well, it's true. They represented us on the field of play, and they won the national championship for all of us for all of us, for each of you that gathered and sweated and supported this team at Duty Noble Field this year, last year, the last decade, every spring and summer of your life, you are sharing this as well. And for all of you that couldn't make the games, that have worn the brand and worn the M over S your entire life because you show pride in this Mississippi State baseball program, that's part of it too. Had a couple people tell me yesterday, you know, talking about, you know, the hirings and that sort of stuff, talking about some of the things that have happened over the years. And uh, one of the things that I was told that John Cohen asked when he met with Mississippi State officials before being hired as the Mississippi State baseball coach, one of the, he had three questions, and one of them really stuck with me. And said, how do you guys feel about the M over S? You know, of course, Mississippi State, you know, had a new AD, working through new branding, that sort of stuff. And they're like, hey, John, it's whatever you want. It's whatever you want. You know, we're partial to him over us, but, you know, you're our guy. And, of course, as a guy that wore, you know, that logo, that insignia over his heart and on his head, John, of course, wanted to keep it. And I think the M over S is synonymous with Mississippi State baseball, and I hope we never change it. To me, it's almost like the New York Yankees logo. I mean, it's easily recognizable. You know exactly what you're looking at. But I thought that's interesting. You know, that a guy comes in and says, you know, hey, how do you guys feel about that? How do you feel about our branding for baseball? So we got it done. Much more of that to come in the book. Looking forward to you guys having it. And, and again, as I've shared with you guys, due to the you know, kinks in a supply train and all that stuff, I've been fighting all this stuff all week, not just with the book, but i got some other things going on around the house, and it just seems like, Everywhere I turn, there is just more and more aggravation. You know what I'm saying? It's like, and, and some of it is not people's fault. It's just kind of the, the world in which we're living in. There are a lot of people out there that would love to be able to come to work and do a project for you, but, you know, it's so difficult to get supplies. And so that's impacting the book business as well. And so, you know, we were hoping to get the book out late October, probably going to be earlier part of November, but, but rest assured we'll have it out for you 
before for the holiday season. But again, let me remind you, once that pre-order link is available, you need to take full advantage of it. Because I can't guarantee you that you're going to be able to get stock once they hit the bookstores. Every bookstore and every vendor we talk to is like, hey, we need to make a big order. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. But there's no guarantee that we're going to be able to get everything a second printing done by December. I shared that with you guys on Wednesday, but heed my word, because what's going to happen is, you know, week of Christmas, people are going to say, oh, man, I forgot to get the book. Steve, can you help me? And the answer to that question is going to be no, I can't. So have a little bit of uh, you know, forethought here. Take advantage of the pre-order. Because understand, if you wait to the end, you're probably not going to get a book until after Christmas. And of course, you know, it still reads the same way. It just may not mean quite as much. I know many of you want to buy, you know, it's books for every state fan in your family. And I, I love you for it. But you need to make sure you pre-order. Because they're going to pre-order. They're going to order. They're going to print all the pre-orders. And they're going to print all the stock for the bookstores. And then they're going to print some backup stock. And I expect all that to go very, very quickly between now and Christmas. Oh, there are going to be thousands of books pre-sold. Don't worry about that. But in order to guarantee you get one and to get a signed copy and personalized everywhere you want, you need to pre-order. No question about it. All right. Another place you can always get what you want when you order, it's Bulldog Burger Company. I love that place. I really do. I loved it long before they were sponsors for this show. I went in there the very first time. I said, this is a cool little local place. Good vibe in here. That's before I even had the food. First time I sat down, I had the Bulldog. Wasn't quite ready. You know, maybe to take on the alternatives. Didn't have my affection for the spring rolls yet. Now I do. I've had the full Bulldog Burger experience. I've ate every burger on that menu, I'm proud to say. I used to come in and give you guys a scouting report. The Bulldog Burger Boneyard Burger of the Day. I'm still riding with the mentology I had bacon. Still love the Lauren, the Bryant. There's so many good options to choose from. I know Hey Dad loves the Smokehouse. That's his favorite. The freshman 15, I guess, is my youngest. That's probably the, the, the train he's riding on right now, the freshman 15. It's a great burger, too. You better bring an appetite when you come to Bulldog Burger Company because you're going to get tremendous portions at a great price with great service with a smile. Get that chocolate shake to go. It's a great dessert to run with. Three great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and the brand new one, Lake Harbor Drive in Ridgeland. Go check it out today. You'll be glad you did. All right, let's talk a little bit about practice, and then we're going to get into Memphis. You know, we talked about kind of previewing some of Mississippi State's opponents. We've talked a lot about practice this week, and uh, so the Bulldogs are off today. There are no practice sessions today. A well-deserved day off. It, it has been incredibly hot, as you guys know. I can't even begin to imagine uh, getting out there wearing, you know, full pads and a helmet and that sort of stuff. And then running around. And Austin Williams interviewed with us the other day, and his sweat's pouring off his body. I was actually impressed that he still had some to, to drop. It's crazy. And what a great job our trainers do kind of keeping your players hydrated. Because it's not, you know, this practice session. Okay, well, let's go, you know, run routes for 10 minutes, and then we're going to take a water break that takes 20. And then we'll get out here, and we'll work on this a little bit, and we'll work on that. I mean, it is a constant state of motion in Mississippi State football practices. They never stop, really. So you go run your route, you come back, you go to the back of the line or somebody there with a water bottle checking on you, making sure you're ready to go. And as soon as you get some water, you know what? Next thing you know, you're going again. And so we talked about that before, too. I mean, you know, we've all played sports. 
And, you know, a 10-minute water break turns into a 25-minute deal, right? Because you start coasting into the water break, you get the water break, and then you got to get everybody going again. You know, one thing, too, that kind of struck me yesterday is I remember, I'm not going to name coaches because I don't want anybody to think that I'm picking on them or anything, but, you know, we'd have all these, uh, you know, practice stations set up, and we just kind of run like a fire drill. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a bunch of kids, you know, playing Duck, Duck, Goose or something. It's like... All right, we got this group here. So 10 minutes, we're this. And then it's like the focus was the schedule, not the work, if that makes sense to you. And so, you know, we'd have these guys here. Then we got to run two practice fields over because we got to work on this. We got to run ropes. We got to do ladders. We got to do this. We got to catch football, you know. And we got to do a lot of things that aren't necessarily consistent with our position or our demands of the football team. But we did all this stuff, and I guess it was to make ourselves look busy. What you're getting at Mississippi State is a lot more efficient practice paces from this coaching staff. They go over there and they get on the uh, – they stretch on the turf field and the next thing you know they're on those grass fields and they split off into two different pass scales and the, and the young guys get reps, the older guys get reps. Everybody gets reps, offense and defensive. And then we go to team drill. And so the only time that you really see any inactivity is when you've got some guys that are maybe down the depth chart during team drills. And we still run three offensive lines out there. We still run three defensive lines. So you're still getting some reps. But you know, some of your younger guys not getting a lot of team reps right now. And that's to be expected. They're still getting positional drills, and they're still getting their Pascal stuff. I mean, and, but my point being is that everybody gets to practice. Now, pretty soon, you know, the scout team will be established and there'll be a lot more of those reps for everybody. But there's not a lot of standing around at a Mike Leach practice session. Everybody's out there working hard. Everybody's engaged. When the offense wins at the end of practice, defense has got to do up-downs, and that includes the guys that that aren't out there. Everybody's got to do it. Now, Monday, the defense dominated the day. There's no question about it. There was no question at all. I feel like the offense won on Tuesday and Wednesday. And on Wednesday, you could tell the offense kind of fell in their oats a little bit. A couple of guys scored touchdowns, including Rufus Harvin. They get up and punt the football towards the defense, you know. But it's good-natured. I mean, it is. And listen, there are times it gets a little heated out there. I mean, that's competition. There's no fights and that kind of stuff. But there's a little woofing at times, some pushing and shoving. That's part of the deal. And I love to see it. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't take it very well when I get beat. I don't. Even if I don't say anything publicly, I don't, I don't take it well. There is a fire within me that kind of burns to get even. And so I respect that when a guy gets maybe embarrassed on a play, that he gets up and says, you know what, let's go again. Let's go. Come on, let's go again. There's a lot of that. Now, I can't say there's a lot of pushing and shoving, but there's been some. Maybe the heat's gotten to them. Maybe it's the first full day in pads, you know, when guys are actually popping each other a little bit more. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all the family. But, you know, listen, this is what gets you ready for the rigors of Southeastern Conference play. But they get after each other. You know, that's the thing, too, like Rufus Harvey. We talked about him. You know, he didn't get a chance to play a lot last year. Guys had a good week of camp. He's looked really good. I think last week, Makai Polk was probably the guy you look at and say, oh, yeah, without a doubt, best receiver. 
You know, this week I think actually Brody King might be the most productive guy in team drills. Former walk-on. Played a little bit for us last year. That guy's working in the middle of the field. That guy's making plays. I think the best running back in camp right now, like if, if I was going to go pick a team, the guy won't play in for me, Katravian Hargrove. Even the other running backs talk about him, about how fast he is. Eric Milley talks about what a great receiver he is out of the backfield. There were so many people that said, hey, you know, State doesn't need to take this running back. He's damaged goods. You know, you take a chance on him with your best available offensive scholarship, and you go get him, and all of a sudden, you know, he's kind of the talk of camp on offense. Now, is he going to unseat Dylan Johnson's Aquavius Marks this year? No. Is he going to play? Yeah, I think so. Simeon Price, he showed up in good shape too. Mewey says up at 215 pounds. But we look really good at running back. You know, last year you, you had Colin Hill. Of course, he opted out. Kind of threw these younger guys to the wolves. And Jaquavius Marks trimmed up. Excuse me. Jaquavius Marks is beefed up a little bit. Dylan Johnson's trimmed down. But these younger guys are right in the mix too. They don't know the scheme quite as well, but they're, everything they're doing, even when they make a mistake, they're going 100 miles an hour. You got to love to see that. And so this Katravian Hargrove thing could turn out to be, you know, a genius move by your Mississippi State coaching staff. You had a guy that, you know, Florida State, Penn State, everybody else wanted, and then they all kind of shy away from him. And State's like, you know what? We don't have to take another running back. We got two freshman guys already on campus. They're going to be COVID freshmen. And we got Simeon Price out here. So we don't have to take another running back. We don't feature the running back in the running game. It's basically an extension of the passing offense more times than not, even though we will hand it to him on occasion. And the fact that Eric Mealy went and stood on the table for this guy says a lot. Your running back's coach says, you know what, hey, this is the guy that we want. This guy makes us better. Then you get him, and he gets here, and he's better than advertised. I can't count the times they'll swing a pass out to him, and he'll catch it in stride. And he's in the end zone. I mean, in, you put him in the red zone, is all of a sudden you, know, you kind of scheme some thing up to kind of get the direction going to the right, and you swing it back to the left, and there's Hargrove one-on-one with a DB, and he's in the end zone. The guy's really fast. He breaks containment. He's a problem. He really is. And that's the thing, too. Sometimes I, I kind of pump the brakes a little bit myself, and I'll say, yeah, you know, it, it, we're in practice. And it's true, as Allen Iverson would suggest. And we're talking about practice, and we are. So I'm eager to see what this team looks like on the field. I'm eager to see what they look like when we have an opportunity to watch them play an opponent that's not friendly. And that'll happen September 4th. Be here before we know it. Play Louisiana Tech. We already previewed them. Let's take a little time to talk about the University of Memphis. This segment of the show brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. Blair is a mortgage professional, guys. Blair has been around a few 24 hours, 21 years to be exact, among the top 1% of loan originators in the mortgage industry across the country. Part of Fairway Mortgage, one of the top five mortgage lenders in the known universe. So it's not a fly-by-night company. And there's a lot of people out there that are going to sell you on this and sell you on that. And, you know, they're going to say, hey, the rates are great. They charge you a bunch of fees. And next thing you know, you know, you're eating your equity up and everybody else is getting rich off you. That's just not the case. Blair's going to take care of you. Many of you maybe are somewhat troubled mortgage lenders or borrowers. Excuse me. 
you're thinking, you know what, maybe I can't qualify. It's one of the first steps, man, is getting pre-qualified. Before you even go look for a house, get with Blair. And he'll let you know, okay, this is what your payment would be. This is what you can afford. This is what your debt-to-income ratio would be. The guy knows all the ins and outs. And here's the thing, too. He tells me you're about to see you know, some, some hikes when it comes to rent, but you're also, too, going to be able to add some equity because property value is about to go up. And so get off the hamster wheel of renting and put your money in a big house. Get yourself a pretty wife. You'll know the reference. Most of you will. But also, too, because of you being a Boneyard listener, Blair is willing to do this because he believes in doing business with Bulldogs, too. If you mention Boneyard, you say, hey, I heard the, your ad on the Boneyard. He is going to pay for your appraisal. That's right. Whether it's your first home, whether it's a refound, your current home, whether you're looking at an advance, uh, investment property, if you mention Boneyard to Blair in your emails or in your phone calls, he's going to pay for your appraisal. That's a great deal. Let me give you his number. And again, I don't know if I want you giving this out. Nah, he'll want you to give it out. Just be careful. Blair's phone number, 601-500-2344. Of course, you can visit closewithblair.com and get all your questions answered. Blair Chandler, great friend of mine. I've known Blair a long time. Wouldn't do business with people that wouldn't treat you right. Go check him out today. Blair Chandler at closewithblair. That's B-L-A-I-R.com. All right, let's, uh, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and do top 10 list, and then we'll talk about Memphis. I've got some things together. Memphis is going to be interesting. And so I had a text yesterday and said, hey, you know, we hadn't done the cult. I th- actually, I think we might have done the cult. Roy says we haven't. And, um, you know, my memory is probably not as good as Roy's. I'm just, you know, I spent, I did some hard partying at times. And so Roy probably has a few more brain cells than I do. So I'm going to defer to Roy. What you guys may or may not know is my youngest son, Ian Robertson, is named after Ian Asbury from the cult. Now, my wife would say, well, you know, we did that. No, no, no. The only reason I agreed to it, we, we like the three letter names in our family, but. My two boys are named after two of my favorite singers. That's Ani and Ian. But uh, Ian Asbury from the cult and uh, had some experiences with the cult the last several years and uh, met Ed, their tour manager. Those guys are great. And so here's my top 10 cult songs. And the thing that I'll tell you about the cult is they have a lot of range. You know, when Rick Rubin got involved and, uh, he, you know, he said, hey, the cult's a rock band and their, their sound kind of changed a little bit. And so when you listen to those earlier albums, uh, like Love is one that really kind of put them on the map. And then they begin to kind of trend more towards rock with electric. And the next thing you know, they get in a sonic temple when Rick Rubin was producing and their career hit an absolutely new level. So here are my top 10 of the cult. This is a great one to listen to on your way home. If you're in a hurry to get home, this is your soundtrack. Number 10 this is one of those songs, too. It's kind of a B-side, but I absolutely love it. It's called Aphrodisiac Jacket. If, you've, if you ever saw the Kevin Bacon movie Whitewater Summer, which was wild, this song is on that soundtrack. It's also on uh, Electric, if memory serves me correct. Aphrodisiac Jacket. Love Billy Duffy's guitar on that one. Number nine also from that album is Little Devil. I don't know why this song wasn't on the radio a lot more. 
Peace Dog was another one that was okay, but Little Devil was one that I thought kind of sounded like a single. Going back to the Love album, probably the best song on that album, She Sells Sanctuary. This is kind of when The Cult was a little bit more of an alternative, kind of a new wave band. But this is really a step towards what they ultimately became to be. She, she Sells Sanctuary. Absolutely love it. Number seven, this is one later in the catalog. Probably one that um, maybe didn't get enough airplay. I, there should be, listen, if you're a program director or radio station, put more cult on the air. They're great. But it's Sweet Soul Sister. I think the vocal on this is phenomenal. I love the harmonies on the chorus. And, of course, it's, you know, Ian kind of singing backdrop over Ian. But I absolutely love that song, You Will Too. Off of Sonic Temple, probably the only ballad they had that um, that really was, you know, a major success. And they've had a few. But it's Edie, subtitled Chow Baby. But um, that's a great one, too. That was a huge hit. Not just because of the vocal range, because it was a lot different for the cult. All right, going back to the Electric album, this is probably, I guess, the second video I ever saw with the cult. I'd seen uh, She Sells Sanctuary before. That was probably on 120 Minutes on MTV, if you remember back when MTV played music. But it's Love Removal Machine. And they sounded a lot like ACDC to me. Like ACDC with... And dare I say it, a better singer. But I loved it. It was true rock and roll with a guy that could really wail up there. Love Removal Machine. I I still don't quite understand the lyrics, but it's a great track. Number four, this is one of the – I I considered at some point actually naming – when I get ready to write the uh, recovery book, I've even – I considered this as a title. It's Wild Hearted Son. I absolutely love this song. It's just one of those, there's certain songs that just kind of resonate in life with you, and that's one of them for me. Wild Hearted Son, absolutely dig it. Number three, and at some points in my life, this has probably been my favorite cult song. We played at Duty Noble Field during rain delays, and it's rain. Here comes the rain. I absolutely love the guitar on this one. It is, to me, it is some of Billy Duffy's shining moments. Is on the song Rain. Number two, going back to the Electric album, which is the first cassette that I ever owned from the cult. And yes, I'm dating myself talking about cassettes. Still got this one somewhere. It's Wildflower. And again, it sounds a lot like ACDC. But the percussion on this is really, really strong. I think it's one of their probably most complete songs. You know, there are some songs where you hear a band and like, oh, well, you know, the guitar is really good. This is a shiny moment for them. Oh, the vocals are really good. Drums are really good. This is one where there was just kind of like some harmony in this one. I think everything worked. The production value on this album was great. I think Wildflower was probably the hit on that album. But number one, and this is one of those songs that I got to I got to make sure my cruise control is set when I put this on the radio. Because if not, I'm going to be doing about 100 miles an hour down to 82. And I don't think the sheriff's department will like that. I don't want to pay that ticket, but it's Firewoman off of Sonic Temple. And I tell you, the lyrics on this are incredible. It's like everything just fits. Everything does. I love the way it builds. I love that opening guitar riff. I love how the drums come in and the guy's beating the floor time. And next thing you know, Ian kicks it in. And it's just like you're on a roller coaster. It is. It is like 
You remember when we used to go to the uh, to the state fair back when we could? Um, they would have the Himalayas, and like the only reason that I wanted to ride the Himalaya is because they played such great rock music. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, they spin you around really fast. But I just love the fact that it felt like it's you were at a concert. You can get out there, and they have all the crazy lights. The, to me, Firewoman would be like the ultimate song to ride the Himalayas to. I absolutely love that song. You will too. If you are not a fan of the cult, I, just, I have to question, what are you doing with life? Because Ian Asbury is an absolute icon in rock music. And the, I saw the cult with Metallica uh, years ago and uh, had a chance to see them a couple years ago at Rocklahoma. They were incredible. Ian Asbury has not lost anything. And that's the thing, too. There are so many people out there that over the course of their time, because they're not really singers, they just kind of wing it. You know, their voice breaks down over time, and people are like, oh, my gosh, I mean, they, they, they've lost it. Not Ian Asbury. That guy had lost anything. He's lost nothing. I think he has, what, a four-octave voice. It's ridiculous how strong his voice is. One of the strongest voices in all of rock and roll history, Ian Asbury. Absolutely love that guy. Love the songwriting. And listen, there's a lot in this catalog that didn't make the radio. You know, today we talked about a lot of the hits, but a couple of B-sides on here. But how cool is it that, you know, that the Colts still play and all these years later and play them at a high level? If you get a chance to go see them, you absolutely should. They put on a great show. And if you sit close enough, you might even get a tambourine. Because Ian Asbury, every show, you know, after he gets done with tambourine, he'll throw a couple up in the crowd. And so uh, good on you if you get one of those. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Longtime sponsors of the show. I'm big fans of theirs, too. Stan and Man, Miss Kathy Brown, lovely, talented Susie, gets lovelier by the day. Candy, the whole crew downstairs, everybody kind of holding it together. Cheyenne, Hal on social media. Got so many friends over there. They're your friends, too. And they may just be friends you hadn't met yet. They'll take care of you when you go in there. And also, to the home for Mississippi State merch. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. It's summertime. Everybody needs new clothes. Chances are, like, your kids have already, like, sweated through all their, their T-shirts from last year. If they hadn't outgrown them, Mom, get them some more. And while you're there, get Dad maybe a new polo, too. Maybe he's not going to ask you for it. You know he needs it. You know he does. He's still wearing that, uh, you know, that one that you had, you know, for your anniversary from a few years ago. Take care of Dad. Take care of yourself. Campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's talk Memphis for a while. And we'll just kind of cruise here for a little bit, talk Memphis football. Now, a lot of you young bucks don't fully appreciate this Memphis thing used to be a real deal for Mississippi State. Playing Memphis was kind of like playing, you know, Southern Miss. You know, and Memphis used to have some really good teams. You might have seen... You know, I guess on the Jumbotron, they had the Rocky Felker going for two deal in 1974. That was a huge deal to beat Memphis back then. Now, with the shift, you know, with the Power Five and that sort of stuff, a lot of teams like Memphis and Southern Miss have been left behind. And so I say that to kind of illustrate the point. You know, they used to talk about the big three in Mississippi, and it was truly never really the big three, but it's really not anymore. 
But there used to be a time, you know, Southern Miss could kind of recruit against State and Ole Miss. You know, like in the 70s, early 80s, you know, we had two rivalry games. And, of course, when we expanded the SEC schedule in 1992 and began playing eight conference games, then, then the Southern Miss rivalry was a casualty for both State and Ole Miss. Now, of course, State has played Southern Miss with more regularity. Ole Miss still scared to play them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, you know, playing Southern wasn't quite as big as playing Ole Miss, but it was probably secondary. And if you could beat Southern and Ole Miss in the same year, it's a pretty good year, even if you didn't make a bowl game. That's kind of how it was. You know, we had, we had a much lower bar to meet back those days. But Memphis was right in there with this other Miss thing. Now, yeah, and I think the Ole Miss-Memphis thing was probably a bigger deal because of geography. But it was a big deal to beat Memphis. It was important to beat Memphis because we recruited a lot of those areas, saw the same athletes. It used to be, you know, one of those – non-conference rivalries. Now, Mississippi State and Memphis have played 44 times in school history. Mississippi State's won 33 of those. Mississippi State currently holds a 12-game winning streak in the series that dates back to 1993. We got beat 45 to 35. Now, since that time, things have changed a little bit. Uh, you know, in the Jackie years after 93, we kind of got after them a little bit. But uh, there were times that game was still very competitive. In recent years, it hasn't been. So let's look at a little history here before we kind of get into the team. Uh, last time we played them, 2011. Dan Mullen, 59-14. The year before, 49-7. All the way back to 2003. The last of the Jackie Sherrill years, I believe is correct. Yeah, 5-27. 29-17 and 30-10 to 10 there in 2001. But, uh, yeah, there were some tight games. You were 99. We beat them 13-10. I actually lost money in that game. I think State was favored by three. I don't even remember. But, anyway, I ended up losing money in the deal because we, we Brian Hazelwood kicked the field goal in a ball game that we should have won easily. In 98, the year we go to Atlanta, we beat Memphis 14-6. 97, 13-10. And so I just say that to illustrate that you know, a lot of people see Memphis on the schedule these days, and they just think, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's just Memphis. It's, it doesn't mean what it used to, but these, a lot of these guys, too, have a chip on their shoulder because they felt like they were good enough to play in the SEC and maybe didn't get the opportunity to do that at State or Ole Miss. So they come out with something to prove. Going to be a lot of Mississippi players on that roster. Let's kind of run that down here real quick, you know, before we kind of get into to who's uh, who's around. Give me some names that you know for sure. Uh, so Cameron Wright, wide receiver out of South Panola, he was the guy that got you know maybe some peripheral interest from Mississippi State. We didn't make a big move there, but you know he's the guy they're expecting some big things from. Six four, two hundred pounds. Foot speed was a bit of a question mark, but uh, you know we'll see how things kind of progress with him. Uh, you know for sure. McKaylin Pounders, former Mississippi State commitment. You remember all that stuff that happened with all that, right? All part of the big Mary Flipmas thing, and then they were like, oh, we didn't really take him. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. This text messages are out there. So they orchestrate this flip, the old Miss folks do, and then they drop him. Well, then at that point, you know, he's kind of burned his bridge with Mississippi State. I remember talking to uh, – to Big John Danley, head coach, hell yeah, athletic director up there. You know, he just he talked about you know how how bad the whole thing went down, 
You know, but at the end of the day, a lot of that's McKaywin's fault. You know, you know McKaywin could have stayed committed to Mississippi State, but he was used. He was manipulated, and he allowed that to happen. And next thing you know, he had nowhere to go late. And uh, after it all broke down, I actually reached out to a handful of schools and said, hey, this is a young man, too, that's kind of been, you know, he's, and I don't know what all options he has left. But you had an SEC-caliber player that was available. And so I'm glad he ended up with somewhere to go. And, again, it's not that far from home. So you know, I wish him the best. I do. But I think it's kind of a cautionary tale because there's so many people that get involved in this recruiting process that have no business being involved in it. And then McKaylin Pounders is the one that picks up the tab in that deal. Those are things you look at and you begin to wonder, you know, hey, who's advising these guys? A lot of people to get involved and say, hey, you know, let's just, you know, they become pawns in basically, you know, egg war recruiting, egg bowl recruiting. But I do, I wish McKellen Pounders the absolute best. All right, some more names that you may be familiar with. Jeremy Tate out of New Hope High School. I really liked Jeremy Tate a lot. I never thought that he would be a Mississippi State offer guy. But I really liked him. Great guy, great ability. His dad's a great guy. You know, really happy for him. And I hope Jeremy has a great career up there. He really wanted the opportunity to play at Mississippi State. It just didn't happen for him. Uh, Silvante Oliver is a senior out of uh, North Panola High School. I think that's correct. Yeah, North Panola High School by way of Itawama Community College. Didn't get much from him in high school, but uh, he's a, another Mississippi Junior College success story. You know, a guy that's went there and found his way onto a Division I roster. Uh, Zay Cullens, a linebacker out of North Pontotoc High School. He was a guy at State, kind of kicked the tires with a little bit. He's a redshirt senior up there. And, and again, North Pontotoc has produced some players, for sure. Remember Marcus Green? Everybody thought Mississippi State was going to offer Marcus Green. And then uh, Scott Salk and his guys just couldn't pull the trigger. And, and he went to Yo Monroe and had a really good career. But uh, North Pontotoc, yeah, that's for a little small town like that, and he crew Mississippi, they'll produce a player every now and again. J.J. Russell, you remember him? Former Mississippi State commitment, too. Out of Grenada. Fifth-year linebacker up to 6'1", 225. He was one of those guys, too. We just He was a guy that would hit you. We just worried about him size-wise. Well, it looks like it worked out okay for him. That was the year that, uh, you know, Grenada had a couple of kids, and uh, we ultimately didn't get any of them. I think the J.J. Russell thing was our decision, but at the end of the day, He's gone up there now. I've had a pretty decent career uh, at the University of, of Memphis. Uh, Reed Flanagan is a tight end from Hernando, Mississippi. State didn't really recruit him, but again, another Mississippi guy, you know, from from close to the border there, uh, that is there, kind of seeking his uh, college football future. Gabriel Rogers, running back from Callaway High School, a guy that State kind of recruited a little bit, never really offered. Went to Jones County Junior College. Expected to be a guy, you know, kind of be a depth guy for them. Leandre Thomas, this is a guy that I thought Mississippi State should have offered. From Wingfield High School, the home of Sleepy Robinson. And Leandre broke just about every one of Sleepy's records when he was there. And he has had a great career at Memphis. This is a guy that played as a true freshman. One of the better athletes in the state that year. No doubt, no doubt about it. I think we probably made a mistake there. Just my personal opinion. He came to camp and after did really well. I thought an offer was coming. It never came. Uh, Keith Brown, a linebacker out of Madison Central by way of Northwest Community College. Uh, 6'1", 229 backer, worth number three. Veteran guy. That's the thing. A lot of these Mississippi guys have been there a little while. John Cartwright out of 
Madison Ridgeland Academy by way of East Central Community College, another Mississippi JUCO success story, playing defensive line up there, 6'3", 257, one of their interior guys. Uh, a little deeper here, we're almost done. I think it's uh, – I just think that it's interesting to kind of take the trip down memory lane and kind of look at uh, maybe some of those guys that maybe were, um, you know, Mississippi State camp guys that didn't get an offer. And here's just one of them, Wardellius Ducksworth out of Mize High School by way of Jones County Junior College, also an interior guy, 6'4", 246. There's a handful of these guys out here that, you know, you go back, oh, yeah, I remember that guy, Connor Coleman, redshirt freshman. They went to Myrtle. I don't know a whole lot about him, but uh, he's one of these guys, too, that, you know, typically would come to the Combine and Tupelo back when we used to have that kind of stuff. And next thing you know, you look up and they're playing on television. Wish all those guys the best from Mississippi, man, for sure. Sanchez Blake out of Olive Branch High School, redshirt senior. You know, Olive Branch basically is Memphis, right? Was for a while anyway, because the, the recruiting used to go the other way, right? Memphis, would, Olive Branch would recruit guys from Memphis, and then Memphis would recruit guys from from uh, from the other side of the, of the state line there. It's part of the deal. Uh, Matt Dale, and I remember state recruiting this guy too, redshirt senior out of Kemper County High School, played for Chris Jones, part of that state championship team that they had. And you remember Kemper County, that's, that's, uh, that's where Marcus Green went. Remember him? I was a huge Marcus Green fan. We turned him into a tight end, recruited as a running back, converted to a tight end. Matt Dale went to Hines Community College, ended up at Memphis, that's a guy that's got some ability. Hevesy just never really seemed to like him. You know, we were we were on him again. We're off again. We just never could go right on him. And um, you know, six six, three hundred twenty pounds. He certainly uh, fit the bill. Rodriguez Clark. That's a name that most of you know. That's a running back from Starkville High School. And we have so many Starkville people on the jeanspage.com message boards that were all over this. We, we needed to offer Drake. We needed to make sure that he was part of our program. We did, and he's gone to Memphis. And I actually feel like he's probably a better fit up there for what we did before. He would probably fit in really well in the Mike Leach system. He was their leading rusher last year. We'll get that a little bit later in the show. Jaleel Clemens, former Tennessee commitment also from Starkville High School, 6'3", 240 pounds. What I remember about him at Starkville is how mean he was. He would absolutely light you up. Just never got the Mississippi State offer. And I know there was a lot of people that were really rooting for that to happen, but neither one of those guys got it. And listen, State's been really good to Starville High School, and Starville High School's been good to State. But um, that's one you probably look back and you kind of wonder, yeah, maybe we made a mistake here with some of these guys. And Darius Coffey, former Ole Miss commitment out of Winona, they drop him. That was right after the uh, coaching change up there. But Coffey was one of those guys, too, that you know was in the mix with State and Ole Miss both. State never offers. You know, Ole Miss took him pretty early on and it ended up dropping him. But um, let's look at some numbers here now that you're somewhat familiar, you know, with Memphis. So the big thing is Brady White is gone. Brady White uh, in camp now with the Tennessee Titans. Huge numbers for him. 3,380 yards, 254 completions on 420 attempts, 31 touchdowns, 10 picks. Outside of Brady White, Memphis attempted three passes last year. That's it. Uh, Connor Adair, two attempts, and then Calvin Austin, the third. Some people think that he could be the guy this year. We'll see. We'll see how things progress. Uh, Peter Parrish is there, too. You guys may remember Mississippi State offered him. We, one time we thought he was going to come here. If I remember correctly, he went to LSU. Didn't fit at all what they wanted to do. 
it was an interesting offer and an interesting take. And maybe it's a situation where they thought they could flip him to a different position, and uh, he just didn't take on it. But, uh, but be that as it may, now he's in Memphis. So, you know, we'll see what he does there. Uh, Rodriguez Clark, 561 yards rushing last year. Led the team. 10 catches, 50 yards. Didn't really use him as much. Uh, Asa Martin is a guy that had some big numbers for him last year uh, as a receiver. Also, it's a running back. But he was a guy that used out of the backfield a little bit too. Uh, Taj Washington, 43 catches, 743 yards. Uh, Calvin Austin, we mentioned him earlier on his little uh, end-around type stuff. He's a guy they're expecting big things from, expecting him to be the main cog of this offense. He's the guy. Everybody's got that one guy you look at and you got a game plan for, it's him. He is absolutely the guy you got to pay attention to, Calvin Austin. They, they move around, do a lot of things with him. Uh, 1,000-yard receiver last year, 11 touchdowns. Got to find a way find a way to make some things happen with him, uh, to say the least. Now, the, the, the quarterback candidates – we mentioned Peter Parrish, Grant Gunnell, uh, Kylan Brown, Seth uh, Hennigan. All those guys are competing. Now, I haven't read any practice reports, so I don't know who's ahead up there. But the scheme is the scheme. And Ryan Silverfield and those guys, are gonna, they're going to throw it around. They're going to run you know, basically a variation of the spread, try to make some big things happen. I like the fact that we're going to get them pretty early in the year. Even though we got to go up there, I think Zach Arnett will be able to confuse a young quarterback. They're going to see some exotic pressures from us, not going to see anywhere else. Uh, that's apparent. Now, the offensive line up there, you may remember we lost uh, Obini Easy to them, and then he ultimately transferred to TCU. I remember him coming to junior day. I thought he was somebody's dad. Huge, huge guy. Uh, we mentioned uh, Grant Gunn a little bit earlier. Yeah, he's a uh, transfer from Arizona. And so, you know, they've got some competition there, but they've kind of got some of these guys that were cast off some other programs. You know, mentioned Peter Parrish, those guys too. I mean, so, you know, somebody's got to have an opportunity to play. I liked it. I, I like the fact that we're going to get them before they kind of get things figured out. Uh, Taj Washington, that's another guy too that, um, you know, they had last year. And uh, he is actually transferred to USC. Checking my notes here. That's a pretty big deal. So you lose some of your key offensive players. You break in a new quarterback. That's a pretty fun offense last year. But um, you know when you lose those big components, you kind of wait and see what happens. Asa Martin, you may recall, too, was uh, an Auburn guy. So he's a guy, too, that might you know kind of – support Rodriguez Clark. Yeah, defensively it's a little interesting too, you know, they don't play a lot of a lot of defense in the AAC. And Memphis gave up a lot of yards last year. They have, they absolutely did. I think this is a chance for us to really get out there and go do some big Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tacovas want to remind you that uh, it's festival season, it's concert season, it's sundress season. Yes, it is. 
And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. So no break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and our friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tacovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Things offensively. And I've been really impressed with what I've seen from offense so far, but against practice. What are you going to do on, on that hot turf up there in Liberty Bowl? Uh, looking at these defensive numbers here, you know, we mentioned J.J. Russell, uh, second leading tackler last year, 58 total tackles uh, for him. Eager to see kind of what happens with him. Say Collins, 29 tackles. Uh, Savante Oliver, 26. It's pretty much spread you know, throughout the roster. Jaleel Clemens, just 19 tackles for him. But you got some guys out there that are, that are playing and playing well, but um, you know, this is a team that really, really struggled at times last year to, you know, to keep people off the scoreboard. That's going to be our job too. And I think that the fact that they're going to have a young quarterback, they can help us in that regard too because I think if they throw it enough that we're going to catch some of those passes. Looking at last year's results from Memphis, and they did win a bowl game last year, uh, but they, you know, they, they open up the year with a 37-24 win over Arkansas State. They lose at SMU 30-27. They killed uh, a few teams down the stretch here. But, man, one of the better games of the year, that Memphis-Central Florida game, a 50-49 win for Memphis. 
They take down Temple 41-29. They lose at Cincinnati, and that's there's no shame in that. Cincinnati was great last year, 49-10. They beat South Florida 34-33. A gaudy win over Stephen F. Austin, 56-14. They win at Navy 10-7, and, you know, that's one of those games, too, where Navy shortens the game. They run the option and just kind of run you off the field. Uh, 35-21 losers at Tulane, and then Houston, a win, 30-27, then they win the bowl game there. But, you know, you look at these numbers statistically, you know, offensively they put up some big numbers. They also gave up a lot of things too. And so I don't think that is fixed this year. It's The more that we look at these non-conference opponents, and listen, none of them are cakewalks, okay, you know, with the exception of the FCS game. But we're getting these non-conference games with the exception of NC State with teams that are in transition. Lose Yantac, loses a ton of skill, we get them week one. Memphis loses a ton of skill, we get them in week three. Then you got your FCS game later in the year. And so I think it's reasonable at this point to expect, you know, Mississippi State to be probably three and one in the non-conference games. That's the thing that I look at this stuff and – you say, well, you know, State's going to be five and seven, and I look at the schedule and say, where are these seven losses coming from? And a lot of people are expecting us to lose. I saw some people picking us to lose to Louisiana Tech and Starkville in Week One. That didn't make any sense to me. And people, well, going on the road to play in Memphis. You don't think that we'll have a ton of people in Memphis? We don't need the cowbells. We hold the attendance record in that venue. We'll go in there and do a good job. And I also think, too, the fact that, you know, you don't have an NFL-caliber quarterback calling the cadence anymore. Now, they'll have a couple of games to kind of get ready. But at the end of the day, Mississippi State is a much better team than Memphis. I still think the NC State game is a bit of a toss-up. I'm glad we get it here. They don't lose a ton of skill. You know, they're going to be a team very similar to us in many respects. You know, they kind of had uh, some tough losses a year ago. But, you know, this, this is one of those teams, too. Dave Doring, those guys do a good job. And you, you better believe they're going to be fired up to come over here and play. They're a team that sometimes kind of struggles to find out that identity. Will they be able to want to track meet against us? Because I think that maybe what it turns into on our th- – I think we're going to be able to move the football against them. I really do. And I, I think when you look at our Mississippi State schedule – I think that NC State game is probably the most difficult game of the non-conference, and I think everybody expected that. But, again, a deeper dive into these teams, you know, it's like everybody thinks, oh, well, last year Memphis was a bowl team. Yeah, and then you lose an NFL quarterback, and then you lose your top, you know, gainer. And so what do you do? Oh, well, we, we return a lot of guys on defense, which you weren't any good on defense. And so I think at this point, you know, when I, I begin to look at these things, I, I think State is going to wax Louisiana Tech. And I love the people, oh, you know, Steve, we shouldn't say those kind of things. What does it matter? I can say whatever I want. I've got no impact on the game. I'm not narcissistic to think that what I say affects the impact of any sporting event. Mississippi State should wax Louisiana Tech. You get that game at home against NC State, it's going to boil down to turnovers. It's going to boil down to who makes the big mistake. And hopefully that's not us. But I think Memphis coming in after that, win or lose, I think Mississippi State is simply going to be able to out-talent Memphis. You know, those are things that we always, you know, Steve, we're going on the road. Okay. It's not like we're going to Alaska. We're going to Memphis. Well, Steve, they got the turf up there. Yeah, so we'll be fast on turf too. 
But it's hot up there. Yeah, it's hot here too. So I, I don't buy this whole, oh, woe is me. We're going to be lucky to win, you know, one of these non-conference games. I just don't, I don't buy it, and you shouldn't either. We're better than all four of our non-conference opponents. And, again, the, the difference between State and Mississippi State is negligible, very much so. And so I think it's exciting to really think about what's next for Mississippi State. And so next week we'll start breaking down a little bit of the conference games and kind of get into all of that. But I think, again, when you begin to consider the fact that Memphis had one of the best quarterbacks in school history leave the program and they did not create any depth behind them, there are no appreciable Division I snaps on the roster. Could the kid from Arizona get the job? Yeah, he could. But it's going to be a different deal when Zach Arnett's out there calling a defense against you. It, just, it absolutely is. And so I wish we could kind of move on from all of this, oh, woe is me, Mississippi State stuff. Yeah, I hope before I pass away that we have, uh, we have fixed that within the fan base, that we could, we, it's okay to expect more. You know, it, it's, and I understand it used to be a big deal to beat Memphis, and it's not, just because, it's not just because they were better, but it's because we were also worse. And my hope is that we've uh, ascended to a different level. Looking at Memphis' schedule this year, they open with Nickel State, then they travel to Arizona State. They said so they should be 2-0 and coming in here. Which, will, which some of our self-loathing fans will be wringing their hands and beside themselves with anxiety when that happens. And then they, then they, they uh, host Texas San Antonio, travel to Temple, travel to Tulsa, host Navy, travel to UCF, host SMU, East Carolina, then at Houston at home against Tulane. Uh, so, yeah, they should have a pretty decent year if they can find a quarterback. And I think the staff up there does a really good job you know, kind of scheming people up. They'll, they'll have some opportunities, you know, to score points. I just don't think much of those will come against Mississippi State. I think the only way Mississippi State loses that ball game is if we go up there and give them the football game. That's exactly how I feel about it. And I hope that you'll, you'll feel the same way. I think it's important that our fans just kind of relax a little bit and take a breath and enjoy the season. We can't play Memphis until we go to Memphis. You know, we're getting ready to go play Louisiana Tech. And, again, I think State is going to wax Louisiana Tech. I think that it's going to be a game that ignites the fan base a little bit. Because I think there's many of us that are kind of like, you know, you're kind of on the edge of your seat thinking, man, man, we need something good to happen here. We can't get into a situation where we lose a couple of those games early because the fans will bail on us. You know, the bandwagon will have thrown a, thrown a wheel. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're really going to come out and play well against Louisiana Tech, and I think we're going to put up some huge numbers against them. And I think people are going to get fired up. Now, and you know what? If we win that ball game 27-21, I'm still going to count it as a win, but I'm going to be like many of you thinking, you know what, maybe this offense is uh, not quite ready for what we want it to be. But based on what I've seen in practice, and again, it's still practice, you got some playmakers that maybe you didn't have last year. I mean, that's the thing I think we forget sometimes, too, is, you know, the core of our offense were freshmen. Now, you took some lumps last year as a result, but, you know, two years from now and even next year, I think this, this team's got a chance to be really, really good. And I think we got a chance to be good this year. 
We've got a chance to be really good next year. You know, Jaden Wiley, your leading receiver last year, a freshman. Jaquavius Marks, Dylan Johnson, freshman. Will Rogers, freshman. And Malik Keats, a junior college transfer, finally get on the field for the first time. You know, Tulu Griffin, a freshman. Rufus Harvey didn't get to play much, but also another freshman. And so when you start breaking this thing down, I mean, you know, Austin Williams was a very heady veteran for us. He's back. But outside of that, you know, most of the guys that, uh, that, that scored the touchdowns and, and made the plays were freshmen. And we still managed to get better as the year went on. Well, now all of a sudden those guys are like, okay, well, we've kind of looked under the bed and realized there's really not a monster in there. If we come out here and work hard and prepare hard, we got a chance to go into football games. That's exactly how they should feel. That's exactly how you should feel. We got a good team. Are they a great team? No. Are we going to contend for the West this year? No. We're not. Are we a bowl team? Yep, we are. We are. Are we going to win a game we probably shouldn't? Yeah. Are we Are going to lose a game we probably shouldn't? Yeah. Because when you have young guys, that's what you do. You play over your head one week, and then the next thing you know, you got to come out of the clouds and you don't. You make a mistake. But I'm a believer in Will Rogers. I think Will Rogers – very, very, very talented quarterback, but he's also extremely intelligent. He's a guy that understands the game of football. He also understands, that, you know, listen, I can't go make all the plays. I got to distribute the football, get it in the hands of, uh, of my playmakers. And I think he's got a lot more to work with this year than he had. You know, we didn't even have Makai Polk last year. So basically, you, you trade Osiris Mitchell for Makai Polk. And all due respect to Osiris, I'll make that trade every time. Osiris, pretty inconsistent. He had some big moments at times, also had some big drops. You know, but based on what I've seen from Makai Polk in camp, not just his production, but his body language. This is a guy that wants to get better. This is a guy that's out there working. You know, there, there are some guys that uh, they just kind of endure practice. I think he enjoys it. I think he wants to get better. And I think they've done a really good job, you know, kind of integrating him into the offense. It kind of helps when he's already got Power 5 experience. And that's exactly where we are with him. I'm excited about him. You should be too. But there's a lot of moving parts that it's offense. And, you know, it's all going to boil down to offensive line play. And we're better so far. So far. You know, we'll see what happens against Louisiana Tech. And, and to be honest with you, with them losing their top pass rusher, we should be able to, to get to that game without a lot. You know, it's – even if we go out there and play well, I don't know if it says a whole lot, you know, about the offensive line. And that's not to be, you know, negative. I, I just don't know how good Memphis – I mean, excuse me, Louisiana Tech is going to be up front. And so I don't know if that's a real judge. I think we'll have a better understanding of how the offensive line is going to play after NC State, after a, two games and a Power 5 opponent against guys that are going to be comparable to some of the guys we see in the SEC. I think that's when we'll kind of have an idea. And listen, it's all a work in progress. The offensive line play got better as the year went along last year. I remember that Texas A&M game. We got absolutely whipped up front. They're rushing three, and we couldn't block anybody. And some of that had to do with James Jackson being the center. James, the guy that just couldn't call the protections, and Texas A&M figured it out. And they ran over us. And so you learn from that, and all of a sudden, you know, Cole Smith's back at center because Cole can un understands the checks. And James might have been stronger than Cole. You know, but Cole 
was the guy you had to have out there. You know, and now LaQuinson Sharp appears to be winning that job, and that's not to say that Cole's doing a bad job. I just think you know, sometimes guys win jobs rather than guys lose jobs. You know, Cole Smith's a valuable part of this team. And the fact that he can play all the interior offensive line spots, you know, creates some real versatility for us. And so it's going to be a work in progress. But I do think the offensive line will be better, just for no other reason, if we can just avoid all the contact tracing. You know, of course, the rules have changed and they're a little more lenient with that sort of stuff. And a lot of people have asked about the COVID testing and the vaccine, you know, about the threshold. And from what I understand, Mississippi State's very, very close to passing the threshold that that everybody's so worried about. Mississippi State recently brought in a speaker to kind of explain, you know, the the ins and outs of the vaccine. And the numbers began to shoot up. But again, you know, we can't mandate it. I know some other people out there have said, oh, they're 100%, they're 97%, you know, if they are good for them. But you can't just come out there and say, hey, you know, if, if you don't get the vaccine, you can't play. You can't do that. I know a lot of people would argue, well, Steve, you know, we had to get, you know, the MMR, you know, to go to, uh, to, go to school. It's true, but it was also an FDA-approved vaccine. And you know what? That, that approval may come at any point. I'm not going to sit here and politicize any of that stuff. But I'm just telling you, Mississippi State is kind of creeping very close to the threshold. And many of you have expressed some concerns about that. I believe that is going to be taken care of. I think it's just simply a matter of time. You know, we're getting ready to play a football game here about three weeks. And I believe that we'll be where we need to be. And there's also going to be these thresholds, too. You know, it's like, well, what happens if this happens? You know, you know the fact that if memory serves me correct, I guess we have about 80 players that are vaccinated. I think that's right. And, I, I'm, of course, I'm getting that second hand. But um, about 80 players. Guys, we went to Georgia and played with, what, 48? You know, so I just say that because I just think it's important to let's not get into caught up into hysterics, you know, because like, oh, well, we're not there. What does that mean? Why, why can't we do this? Just relax. It's all going to take care of itself. There are a lot of guys out there that are making their own decisions with this. They just needed to be educated a little bit, and we'll kind of see how things move forward. But I don't think it's a situation where you need to be sitting around worrying that we're going to have to forfeit games because there's not going to be any rescheduling this year. We're going to go play. Again, we went to play Georgia last year with 48 players and should have won the ball game, right? Final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know Brooks Bryan. If you don't, you should. Brooks is my friend. He's your friend, even if you hadn't met him yet. Brooks is your buddy. Because Brooks robbed a home run against the University of Washington to send the Diamond Dogs to Omaha. Thank you, Brooks. I've thanked you a few times before, but thank you again. We love going to Omaha in these parts, and Brooks is a part of that. I'm part of two College World Series teams. Got the best stories probably among the roster. Brooks is uh, on this development group, man, for Portico. I've shared with you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, that's where I'd go. I would. Because I want to be close to campus. I want to be out there close to the action, but not so close that I'm in the middle of all the hustle. I don't want to be around a bunch of college kids. You know what I'm saying? And all due respect to the college kids, I'm an old guy now, or I'd live in the Cotton District. I don't want to live in the Cotton District. I want to live in Portico. 
because I can, I'm 1.1 miles away from campus right there. But I'm kind of, you know, kind of tucked away, you know, away from all that. I'm on the backside of campus. So I'm there for convenience, but I'm also got privacy. Homes out there, man, ranging from two-bedroom, two-baths, to four-bedroom, four-baths. It's so easy to get to. You turn off of 82, 1 to 12, like going to campus to go to the ball game. Very first right will take you to Portico. The very first right is Pat Station Road. You pass over all West Point Road. Boom, there you are. Brand-new residential development, phase one, complete. But I think there's one house left in phase one. And then phase two is opening up, too. Great construction, Great prices, and and that's the thing, too. You could move here, and you could buy an older house. It's already established. That's cool, too. But if you're going to move one more time, and this is going to be a forever home for you or perhaps you own an investment property, why not get the best? Don't, don't you think for once in your life you deserve the best? That's what you're going to get at Portico. Give Brooks a call today. And you know what? Even if you're not quite ready, it doesn't hurt. If you're the, if like, let's say you're the decision maker in the family, or maybe you're not. Maybe you're the person that's got to kind of make the case. Brooks will give you some ammunition. 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Give Brooks a call. He'll give you all the rundown. That great walking trail out there. And again, it's so close to campus. I mean, you, you, you'll be able to hear what's happening. How great is that? Maybe you didn't make a baseball game one day, you walk out in your backyard, and you can hear the roar of the crowd. That's a cool thing, man. Portico, make it your next move. All right, so we're in the middle of this NCAA dead period for recruiting. That'll change September 1st, and then we'll start having visitors come in and come to ball games. Not exactly sure how they're going to handle the COVID stuff. You know, because like last year, they wouldn't let guys go in the locker room, wouldn't let guys visit and that sort of stuff. And so I think there's probably a good chance that there is only limited interaction, and maybe that's on the field rather than in the locker room. I'd be honest with you, I would be a little bit hesitant, you know, to bring just anybody into the locker room. I think that's part of the deal. There's so many people out there, too. I mean, I don't know what they've lived with. I don't know what they're doing. You know, I don't know if somebody's sick is going to come in, and I wouldn't want them to infect the whole team. And so, and again, I'm not, again, we're not going to talk about vaccinations. But my point being is that it's going to be a different visiting experience in many respects. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with these numbers. But, you know, basically what I'm hearing, as of now, the plan is for Mississippi State to simply move forward as planned. And the, the original plan was to be, you know, full attendance, limited restrictions, Everybody has to make a personal decision themselves about whether they want to wear a mask, whether they want to come to ball games. It's up to you. Personal accountability. But I haven't heard anything yet about anybody wanting to pump the brakes on that. Now, if Governor Tate Reeves changes the guidelines, because that's what happened before, you know, it was 25%. Then there was all the local mandates and things like that. So the guidelines for outdoor venues for the state of Mississippi are not determined by Mississippi State, not determined by Ole Miss, Southern Miss, anything like that. Once the state sets those guidelines, then the universities have to comply. Now, last year there were a lot of people kind of lobbying, especially during baseball season, to open things up, and they did. And we had a very successful baseball season, not just because we won a national championship. We had a lot of attendance here. 
There were a lot of people who had a good time. And then I, I don't remember hearing a lot of spikes back then. Of course, we got them now with this Delta variant kind of rolling around. But at this point, there doesn't appear to be any steps towards limiting capacity. And that could change next week, but as of now, that doesn't appear to be the case. And so Mississippi State has allowed us to do in-person interviews with football players since football camp opened. You know, last year, everything was Zoom. And, and I, I hated it. I, and I love the convenience of it sometimes, you know, when when I got a lot of things going on and rather than having to get in the car and drive down there, it's easy to get on Zoom. But it's so much easier to interview somebody in person. You, know, you can kind of read their body language. You can kind of, you know, read their expressions a little bit better. And, of course, you can't do in-person interviews in your pajamas like you can in Zoom calls. But, you know, my point being is that it's just an easier conversation, especially for the young athlete. It's one thing, you know, when you're – jumping on a Zoom call, and you don't know the people. And all of a sudden, you know, you have the in-person stuff. It's like, oh, I remember that guy. He came to watch me play high school football one day. I know that guy. So I'm a little more comfortable answering the questions. So I think as a result, the content is better. And over at Gene's page, we've had a bunch of it. I encourage you to go by and check it out. Most of it's free. The recruiting stuff, for the most part, is not. But you know, a lot of our team coverage is free. So I encourage you to go check that out today, jeanspage.com, the Mississippi State affiliate for 247 Sports. But that's the big questions. What are you hearing about attendance? You know, so as of now, nothing. Another big question, and I addressed some of this on the show yesterday, was about the quarterback competition. Guys, I have seen nothing at this point that suggests to me that anybody other than Will Rogers is going to be the starter. Now, that is in no way a reflection on the talent of anybody else that's competing. I just think Will Rogers is that far ahead. Now, Lovertich is doing a great job. And, again, I've got a lot of confidence in that guy. You know, if, if we got in a situation where we had to put him in the ball game, we can still go score some points. I don't think there's any question about that. Now, I did not see Jack Abraham yesterday. I have seen him every other day. I had somebody else tell me, too, that you know, he's been going in trying to do some, uh, you know, trying to do some film study and that sort of stuff. And, and even that sometimes is a challenge for him. You know, he's just still kind of working back from, you know, from some things. But, um, you know, at this point in camp, I, I, just, I think you could kind of rule him out of the quarterback competition. And that's not to say that he can't come back, you know, later in the season. And, and contribute. I, I'd like to see a situation where perhaps they can, you know, give the guy a medical redshirt or something. I mean, if this is going to be a lingering issue for him, I'd hate to see his senior year and over something like this, you know. And so hopefully that will work out for him. Uh, Jack Abraham, from all accounts, just a very solid young man, did a lot of great things at Southern Miss. And uh, we're fortunate to have him here. We're hoping that he would be able to kind of compete. And I think, again, competition is good for everybody involved. And I think you know, Chance Levertich is doing enough you know, to keep Will Rogers honest. Not that we'd ever expect Will to, to, you know, in any way to slack off. But I think Levertich is pushing a little bit. I don't think he'll catch Will, but I think, you know, when again, watching him out there and watching how quickly he gets the football out, knows the offense, knows where to look for his checks, that sort of stuff, I, I think it's remarkable. It really is. But, but Mike Leach has done a great job improving the quality of the players in that quarterback room. You, know, you look at Sawyer Robertson out there. He's one of the first guys you see in the green shirts out there walking around. Number number 12. You see a long touchdown pass in Pascal, and you look up, but you usually that guy throwing it. That guy can really spin the football. So, again, I, there were a lot of people that said, oh, yeah, Sawyer Robertson will challenge for the starting job middle of this year. That, uh, guys, that'll be a huge surprise. 
He needs a year to get bigger and stronger. And, you know, Mike Leach, not a big proponent of the freshman quarterback. You go back and look at his career. I mean, you know, he'll, he'll, he would start a junior college walk-on sometimes before he started a true freshman, which makes Will Rogers all the more remarkable. It's, I mean, it's just true. And he said last year he thought Will Rogers had uh, you know, more intangibles than any freshman quarterback he's been around. And so when you hear these other things, too, well, I think the competition's still open. You know, Mike's talking to his team. I mean, Will's the guy. I think we all know that. I think more importantly, the team knows that. Will Rogers is a real competitor. Will Rogers is going on a football game in Mississippi State and set a lot of records, too, provided he stays healthy. So before we get out of here, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, recruiting. Let's give you guys kind of a, a quick primer here. So you know, there's not a lot left in state that we're really, really looking hard at. Um, I shared some things earlier on Gene's page. Uh, Marquez Dorch out of uh, George County is a guy that a lot of people expected to come here if MJ Daniels did, and MJ goes to Ole Miss, and Dorch commits to Ole Miss shortly thereafter. Uh, I have not heard anything at this point that makes me think that there is a serious possibility of him flipping to Mississippi State. Now, he did come in camp at State back in June, and he says, hey, I want to play receiver. Ole Miss is talking about me playing corner. To be honest with you, I think he's too small to play corner. I think he needs to be on offense. And I also think you know, he's very explosive. And, you know, when you've got an offensive-minded coach like Lane Kiffin, it makes sense that you would move him to receiver. But um, I don't anticipate – Anything changing with him. I'll be very surprised if it does. Also on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, Bryson Hurst, Mississippi's top offensive line prospect. I want to back up a little bit here. You know, there was all of the discussion prior to top dog camp. Ole Miss, State, both trying to figure out a way that, uh, that somebody down there can give him a ride. And then all of a sudden, there was a ride to Ole Miss that popped up. And like, well, wait a minute now. What's, he's not going to go to Mississippi State. Ends up going to both. And I really think in many respects, you know, if State survived that weekend, I, I think it, it gives you some cause for some optimism. State's been a leader several times during his recruitment. Uh, Bryson's a guy, too, that I, I think uh, is enjoying the recruiting process a little bit, too. And, and you know what? Good for him. When you've got the juice, you can afford to kind of stretch this thing out a little bit. And he is a guy that I think uh, is a Mississippi State kid. And I think he fits here, too. But I also know there's some people around him that are Ole Miss people that are going to be pushing Ole Miss. I mean, that's just life and times in the state of Mississippi. There was some discussion that he might decide in August. He has now pushed that back and just going to announce, I think, a top four on August 25th or, or thereabouts. Mississippi State and Ole Miss will be in that. Probably, I would say, State, Ole Miss, Florida State, and then uh, maybe one other. But this thing is far from over. It is. He'll, he'll take his official visits, and then we'll see. And he, I, I would suspect even if he committed to one of the schools, he would still take his visits. So we'll kind of wait and see how that pl- uh, plays out. Stone Blanton, probably about 30 days away from deciding. You know, I've, I've had some people tell me that the decision is pretty much made. He just hadn't executed it yet. The Mississippi State is the pick, and uh, he's just kind of working through the process and going to take his official visit September 11th. And, you know, that's the thing, too. People say, well, you know, why is he waiting? Why is he waiting? You know, he grew up Mississippi State guy, whatever. You know, the thing that I go back to is a lot of these Mississippi State kids in the past have had a couple of years to make the rounds. They've had the opportunity to go to camps, meet coaches, tour facilities, uh, have to sit down across from the coach and the big desk and that sort of stuff. 
they didn't get to do that last year. They didn't get to do that this spring. So they basically lost about 18 months of their college recruitment. And so they're having to kind of make up for lost time. So I don't, I don't begrudge Stone or anybody else from taking some time to enjoy this process, even if you know where you want to go. Because, again, I think it's better to take all the trips and then commit rather than commit and take all the trips. There's a lot of people that will make a reservation commitment, and then all of a sudden they go visit. And that's not, that's not fair to the school. It's not fair to the fan base. So be true to yourself. But at the same time, too, just be mindful of how you do it. There's a lot of people out there to jump on the first thing. And we saw that somewhat MJ Daniels. MJ Daniels committed to Ole Miss basically when he didn't really have anything else. And then all of a sudden he began to get some offers. And so all of a sudden there's this, you know, this bumpy ride with him. And I think Stone Bland's looking to avoid that kind of thing. He's like, you know what, let me get all my traveling done. Let me go shake all these hands and take all these pictures and load up my Instagram and make some memories for myself enjoy this time with my family and then I'm gonna commit and then I'm gonna get ready and try to go win another state championship in football then I'm gonna get opportunity to go play baseball and then I'm gonna go to college somewhere and so I know it's unsettling for fans sometimes when you've got a guy that you feel like okay he's one of ours why is he waiting why doesn't he love us as much as we love him well I think he does but I think it also too that I think he knows that his place in the class is probably secure for a little bit longer. I don't think he can afford to wait forever. But I think it's one of those situations where, you know, his timing is okay for Mississippi State. His timing is fine. Zach Arnett, Matt Brock doing a great job recruiting him. I, just, I, I still think it's just a matter of time. I'll, I'll be surprised if he had committed in about the middle of September, if not before. I think that official visit's big. And, yeah, I, I don't know if he wants to commit – on the visit or have a ceremony at the school or anything like that. But I really think that visit to Mississippi State will in many ways be the last big event of his recruitment before uh, he makes his commitment. And I do expect that to be Mississippi State. If, you're, if you guys are looking for books, and you should be, go to alphadogsthebook.com. You get personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, and many of you have been, I get a message about once a day from somebody trying to find it. You can find it on Amazon. It's also available as an ebook on your tablet, whether it be Nook or Kindle. Or you can go to a local bookstore and have them order it for you. And it's Blooms of Oleander through Liberty Hill Publishing. We're going to have a new book for you guys very, very soon. Very, very soon. And I'm eager for you guys to have it. And in many ways, I feel like this is the book that I was born to write. And it has been an absolute joy to do it. I cannot wait for you guys to hold it in your hands. It's going to be longer than the other books I've written. Go ahead and get prepared for that. It's going to be a little bit beefier. A lot more to talk about, right? Very proud of the interviews that I got. Kept every interview I did the entire season. And then we're going to add some more, you know, to give you guys some content not available anywhere else. You know, just kind of some reactions, some backstory, that sort of stuff that I don't think you guys have, have ever experienced. And so I'm eager to get it to you. Look forward to having it out to you. Again, look for that late October, but more than likely early November. I'll keep you guys updated as we go. That's going to do it for today. i got to pack a bag and hit the road. And, again, I'm a day early because I love you guys and I want you to have nice things. I want you to have your three shows. And when I get back, it's a riding day tomorrow. i got, I got to write another chapter. i got to spend the weekend, uh, you know, working through some things. And I was thinking about this earlier. I think we're at 17 chapters done now. Then we'll have the Vanderbilt chapter. And then I've got a, you know, then I have a history chapter. We'll have a Lamonis chapter, a Polk chapter, a Cohen chapter. And then uh, one more to kind of tidy the whole thing up. So let me rephrase that. So it's 18 chapters in now. 
18. And you remember that all ended uh, the 1st of July. Then we celebrated my birthday and the nation's birthday, and then I started writing. So we've got 18 chapters done in about six weeks. And I'll be honest with you, the writing pace sometimes gets to me. So I like to take a day off and go to the movies or take my kid to go do something. And so uh, I'm going to enjoy being out of town tonight, let my mind rest a little bit. We'll get right back to the grind. And uh, I work so hard for you because I love you and I love Mississippi State. And I want us to be able to celebrate and commemorate this great moment in our lives. And I absolutely cannot wait for you guys to get dogpiled. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.